0: Thank you.
1: Everybody, welcome to the Hiking My Feelings virtual campfire. My name is Sydney Williams, and you are here to help us build the Hiking My Feelings Wilderness Wellness Center. So, up on the screen, you will see some information. This is a uh, fundraiser for Hiking My Feelings. We are building the Wilderness Wellness Center up here on the mountain in Julian, California, and we've also set aside um, ten percent of our proceeds to the American Diabetes Association. The ADA is on a mission to improve the lives of people living with type. One type two and pre diabetes. So no matter what kind of diabetes you may have, they're on a mission to find a cure and make your life a little bit easier. So we're donating ten percent of the event proceeds to Rain as well, which is the nation's largest anti sexual violence organization. Rain runs the uh, sexual assault hotline. So if you are a survivor and you need someone to talk to, you need some resources, you're just looking for more information, you can get that at rain.org. You can find their phone number there. They also have an online chat if talking to a human feels scary, because sometimes it does. So um, definitely check out ADA, Rain, and us here. So I wanna show you what we're raising money for while we're getting settled in here. So this is the um, phase three. So this is the final version of what we're trying to build. We are working on, um hang on just a moment so we are working on building the phase three which right here is um the first phase is a 32 foot by 32 foot deck with a 24 foot diameter geodesic dome on top of it that will be the hiking my feelings community center so all of our online programming education um wellness retreats backpacking trips day hikes it's going to be our base camp for all the activities that we do here And in this image, you can see there are more than one dome. So the additional phases of construction would be to build additional decks. So 24 by 24 foot decks, and then top those with 16 foot domes, which would serve as accommodations for our retreat participants. So that's what we're working towards. That's where your donations go. And tonight we have a great lineup. I'm really excited to introduce you to Katherine Getsky. She is the founder of IFRED, which is the International Foundation for Research and Education on Depression. Um, she has been doing some incredible work um, around hope, resilience, and just a powerhouse of a woman. So I'm really excited for you guys to meet her. Kyle Smith is also here tonight. He's going to be joining us to talk about his anthems for addicts, as well as sing a few songs for us. So he had um, a rough couple years, few years in um, Long Beach. And once he got clean and sober, he started singing. And he says that reggae music saved his life. I say hiking saved mine. So it's all good. (laughs) And we also have Melissa Gessinger here. She is legit one of my favorite humans. We met on tour last year in Santa Rosa, and we shut down the REI parking lot, jamming in the van, just talking about life. And Melissa has an incredible story. She has survived some of the most outrageous things I've ever heard of as far as like a list of things to get through, um, one of which being she lost everything she owns, her entire home and everything in it burned down um, a few years ago in one of the California wildfires. So one of the things that Melissa and I were talking about and one of the greatest gifts I got on the tri- on the tour last year was this concept of like being able to exhale after trauma and what it feels like to walk around holding your breath literally and proverbially um, after surviving some traumatic events. So really excited to bring Melissa on as well And tonight, I'm going to be reading from this chapter, chapter 13. If you're following along, yesterday at the end of chapter 12, um, I was getting ready to go hike the Trans Catalina Trail for the second time. So I had just quit my agency job back in January. I had left the startup that I joined 90 days after that. And so now it's June 2018. Chapter 13 is called Hot Sage. It's named after the way Catalina Island smells in the summer while you're hiking. It literally just smells like hot sage plants everywhere you walk. So that's the inspiration for the title chapter. If you are um, listening to or if you're reading along, we are starting on page 163. So this is Hot Sage, Chapter 13. The drive up to Long Beach was uneventful and traffic wasn't nearly as bad as it was the last time we drove to Catalina. We stayed with the same friends we did before the first trip. This time they had twin babies on the way. We hopped in the car and went to a restaurant near their old house, the one we used to party at back when we were all still skydiving. We took turns filling in the gaps between what we post on social media and what else happened in our lives over the past few months, had a quick dinner, and returned to the house to crash before our early start. We filled up our water bladders for the next day, set out our hiking clothes, scheduled a lift to pick us up, set our alarms, and went to bed. I woke up to my phone vibrating. It was the lift driver. He was outside. (laughs) Shit, 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 shit. We missed our alarm. I told the lift driver we'd be right down and asked him to wait for us. I woke up Barry, and it was a mad dash to get into our hiking clothes, gather our belongings, and make our way downstairs. By the time we got there, the driver had already left. I opened the app to catch another ride. Our ferry was at 6 a.m. This was not the way I wanted to start the trip. The minutes that passed between requesting the ride and when our driver actually showed up were some of the longest minutes of my life. When the driver got there, we put our backpacks in the back, sat down, and buckled up. I see you're headed to the ferry. What's up with the backpacks? He asked. Yes, we're supposed to catch the 6 a.m. ferry so we can hike across the island this week. We missed our first ride, so if you can get us there in time, I'd seriously love you forever, man. You got it, he said as the car accelerated. A few minutes passed by before he spoke up again. So, hiking across the island, huh? That sounds awesome. If I wanted to do something like that, I'd have to go with one of my buddies. How cool that you guys get to do this together. You're so lucky. I put my hand on Barry's knee and shot him a look babe we're so lucky i cooed barry smiled and rolled his eyes we made it to the ferry in time to get to the restroom and get in line to board the ferry we scanned jesus wind! we scanned the line and didn't see very many backpackers as if on cue a guy behind us asked us if we were hiking the tct yes indeed it's our second time i was a walking exclamation point with my early bird enthusiasm everything was exciting We made it to the ferry on time. I'm waiting in line. I'm not, it's not going anywhere without me. Life is good. And this trip has officially begun. When is your first trip? He asked. December, 2016, between Christmas and New Year's. Ah, yes, the rain event, he said, referring to the downpour we experienced the second night in Little Harbor. Barry and I both laughed. Yeah, that was brutal, Barry said. The guy behind us continued. Well, they've made some changes to the trail since then, more shade structures, more restrooms, and some rerouting at different points along the trail. He introduced himself as an employee of the Catalina Island Company, the parent company for mostly everything on the island as far as hospitality is concerned. We chatted for a few more minutes and a big group of backpackers got in line behind us. Our new friend let us know that they hosted a trans Catalina trail trip and he said it was super luxurious as far as backpacking goes. They did the trail in three days versus our six day itinerary, but they set up your camp for you cook your meals for you, and haul your gear. All you have to do is walk and carry a backpack with snacks and water. Well, that sounds like the perfect environment for hiking my feelings, I thought to myself. The line started to move. It was time to go. Enjoy your hike, he said as we started to board the ferry. Once on board, Barry and I dropped off our bags and made our way to the back deck. The sun was starting to rise and we wanted to get some good pictures on the way to the harbor from Avalon. As we motored out of the harbor, I was flooded with memories of our first trip when we first moved to Southern California. Once we started picking up speed toward the island, I saw a ship in the distance and I smiled. I snapped a few photos for my dad and vowed to remember to send them to him after the trip. We got to the island and the buzz was the same. We grabbed our bags, started making our way through town, and tried not to get lost this time. We passed the mile one marker by the golf course when we heard someone shouting. There was a golfer on the green asking us what we were doing with the backpacks. We informed him that we're hiking across the island, and he was floored. Wait, what? You can hike across the whole island? You've inspired me. I'm going to do that, he shouted from the other side of the fence. I looked at Barry and laughed. Babe, we're lucky. We're inspiring. What else is possible here? We made our way past the golf course to Hermit Gulch, the campground at the start of the trail. We double-checked water, put on sunscreen, moved snacks around to be easily accessible, and went to the bathroom. I grabbed a plant of Green sock sticker and put it on the trash can. Adam is with us on this trip too, I thought to myself. I checked my blood sugar, and it was a bit higher than I'd like for it to be at that hour, but with all the stress that morning, to be expected. I put my glucometer back in my bag. We geared up again and started making our way out of Hermit Gulch. We should totally come a day early next time we do this trail, camp here, and then wake up and roll out, I said. I started the morning in a flurry of stress, and missed rides was not my ideal way to kick off this trip, but I had already shaken that off. Point was, it's an early start no matter how you slice it. And this first day on trail is the hardest. I already knew that much. It was a gorgeous day, mid-60s at the start of the hike, with temperatures forecasted to be in the mid-70s to low 80s all week. Not a drop of rain in sight. I paused to take a sip of water and look around. This spot looks really familiar. I closed my eyes and opened them up again. Yep, this is the place where I had to tape up my hotspot on the first trip. Now that I had a bit more experience with this hiking thing, I pulled out my tracking app. I thought for sure it was at least an hour and a half or two hours before I had to pull over the last time. Distance, 0.25 miles. I called ahead to Barry. Babe, this is where we had to pull over last night. Guess how far we are? Silence. We're a quarter mile in. I heard laughter and I could see him shaking his head. I had asked myself before we started this journey, what would be possible if the hike itself wasn't the hard part? I was starting to think, maybe I was psychic after all. We kept trucking up the switchbacks and made it to the first trade, sh- trade structure. <laughs> I looked at Barry and he took his pack off. He's lost weight. He looks incredible. He's like a billy goat of the switchbacks and I'm keeping up just fine. This is a different hike, that's for sure. We sucked down water. I reapplied sunscreen and I busted out my DSLR. I didn't want my camera to become the tarot cards of the first trip. So I took it out and snapped pictures every chance I could. We packed up and kept going. The stretch after the first shade structure was mostly flat, but I knew it was coming. On the flat parts of the trail, the hiking was quiet and mindless, just the way I like it. It was a beautiful day for hiking. The sun was shining, birds were singing, a nice light breeze was blowing when we came around the bend to face the ocean. Life was good. As we passed the place where I took the first full body shot on the first trip, I started crying. We made our way through the gate that warned you about bison territory and descended into a canyon with fields of sage as far as the eye could see. I remember this section from the first hike. <clears throat> and as we made our way further into the canyon, as the day wore on, the plants started to heat up. Every once in a while, I catch a breeze and with it, a whiff of sage. Babe, it smells like sage, like hot sage, I shouted ahead to Barry. After a nice cruise through some of the canyon floor, we started to climb out of that canyon and into the next. As we did, Barry shouted back to me. Shifting down a gear. He says this every time the trail gets steeper and it's one of my favorite things and also drives me crazy. It's my favorite because he does it and it's adorable and I always pretend like I'm driving a stick shift and motion my hand as if I'm shifting down. It drives me crazy because he's usually a good bit ahead of me and I could be in the middle of feeling really awesome, but the second the idea of a steeper climb enters my awareness, my whole body slumps a bit. In this case, when he called back, I was already stopped. I had my hands on my knees, silently screaming as tears were pouring down my face. Here's the rabbit hole I went down after smelling the sage. The whiff of sage I caught smelled delicious and potent. My brain made the jump to my Uncle Mike, who died in 2014. He used to split his time between New York and San Francisco, and for the holidays, sometimes he'd come back to Kansas and surprise everyone. On one particular Christmas, Mike was staying with us at our house. He took over my sister's room, and when he left, her room reeked of cloves cigarettes. I thought it was so rude that he'd smoke in the house, but Dad later told us that he was smoking weed and that cloves masked the smell. I was it followed that memory as far as it would go. All of Mike's business ventures, his creativity, his spirit, his singing voice. I hadn't really had a chance to properly grieve his death. He was a ward of the state and died in a hospice house. There was no funeral. My aunt got his remains and sent some of them to my dad in an aluminum resealable Coca-Cola bottle. That was it. This beautiful bright light was reduced to ashes in a soda bottle. I thought of all the times Mike's creativity was spoken of in a negative way. For most of my adult life, my father had referred to my uncle as a beacon of hope for the gay community, while also reminding us to go to college, get degrees and get real jobs. That a life of creativity and performing wasn't going to make us happy because we wouldn't have money. It was almost like we were supposed to embody Mike's spirit, but cut our creativity off at the knees. I looked up to Barry, still killed over with my hands on my knees. I waved, signaling I was okay. By now, Barry was well aware of what can happen with me on the trail. He's seen this before. I reassured him that I was fine and told him not to wait for me, that I needed a minute. He kept going, and I stayed where I was. I let it all out. I had an experience like this on the first trek across the island. This felt more like an exorcism than anything I had control over. Screaming silently with nothing coming out, like when I was in the shower during a panic attack. Like when we found out Chris died and I crumpled up on the kitchen floor, and then when we were driving to the drop zone after we found out he had killed himself. It felt like when I finally heard back about Adam and got confirmation that he was dead. Standing, killed over on this trail, it felt like I was having an out-of-body experience, remembering where I was when I found out that all of my friends had died. I was at LA Fitness for Jonathan, in the kitchen for Chris, driving when we got the text about Stephanie, reeling from Graham's death when we found out that Tom died on the drop zone when they found Marius, on the DZ when Ken died, at the dinner when Larry died, sitting on the steps when we heard about Avishai, blow after blow after blow. At the beginning of this book, I shared that I lost a few folks in 2014, but in the four years that I was a skydiver, 23 of my friends died. In this moment, on the trail, I moved the grief all the way out of my body for every single one of them. When I resumed hiking, I thought about each person individually. What was my favorite memory with them? What did they mean to me? How could I keep their legacy alive? I spent most of my time looking at the ground, picking my head up every so often to see what was coming and make sure I could still see Barry. For miles, I hiked and processed and remembered and cried and threw up and dry heaped and laughed and keeled over like I had earlier, silently screaming with my head between my knees as if braced for impact. When I looked up again, I saw the playground coming into view, our halfway point. I picked up the pace and tried to catch up to Barry, feeling lighter in my shoes. When we got to the playground, I slung my pack off my shoulders and grabbed my glucometer from the top packet. My blood sugar was a little elevated earlier and I attributed it to the stress of missing my alarm and the first lift. I had been concerned about my nutrition and hydration (laughs) for this trip. And this was the first time I checked my blood sugar to see since we got on the trail. I unzipped my glucometer, picked a test strip out of the container and inserted it into the top of the device. While it turned on, I took the finger pricking component, put my thumb on the button that cocks the lancet drew it back until it clicked and pricked my finger. The blood had no trouble coming through the skin. I was bleeding like a stuck pig. I put a drop on the test strip and closed my eyes. Please be good, please be good, please be good. It would be so nice to not have to worry about my blood sugar on this trip. My reading came back. It was perfect. I breathed a sigh of relief and showed Barry. That's great, baby, congratulations. I turned off the glucometer, put it back in its case and put the case back in my bag. I took off my shirt, grabbed my water bladder, and made my way over to the faucet to fill it up. The last time we were here, it was just me and Barry. I got on the swings and did everything I could to delay so I could cool down and give my legs a break. This time, I felt incredible. I skipped over to the water fountain and started filling up my bladder. Behind me was a group of people. As I filled up my water, it hit me. I was standing at the faucet in my trail runners, trekking tights, a sports bra, and no shirt. Sydney Williams doesn't run around with her shirt off. I may have been a cheerleader, a gymnast, an athlete, but my my stomach is the part of my body that I was most self-conscious about, the part of my body that was always covered up. What was happening here? I felt like I must have blacked out after the good blood sugar reading because here I was in all of my shirtless glory, feeling the breeze blow against my bare skin on my belly for the possibly the first time in my entire life. It was such a strange sensation to feel my body cooling down naturally. As the breeze caressed my sweaty back, I felt chills run up and down my spine. I made my way over to where we dropped off our stuff, put my bladder back in my bag, and went to sit on a bench to consider what just happened. As I sat down and stretched out, I tried to make sense of what was happening here. Okay, so no blisters, that's good. Blood sugar's on point, water is full. I cried a lot back there. Sitting here, I feel lighter. I've got an extra pep in my step. I'm not wearing a shirt and I'm not running to hide my body or cover up. How is that possible? I thought of all the times, all the things I passed on for fear of my body being seen. My high school reunion, fun trips to the beach, wearing clothes appropriate for the weather or season, shorts and tank tops specifically. What happened here? Yeah, I lost the weight, but I don't think that's it. Last time I was here, it was just me and Barry, so there's no reason I shouldn't have taken off my shirt then, but I did it. I wasn't sure what was happening here, but I was eager to get to the campground so I could write some more and see if I could connect the dots. Barry didn't have to tap his wrist this time. As I finished some of my electrolyte shoes, I geared up and we hit the trail again. I knew we had at least one more big climb, the one where I had to stop every four steps on our last hike on this island. I was looking forward to it. I wanted to see how different it felt. We hiked through more sage fields, took a break in one shady spot on this portion of the trail to suck down more water, and before I knew it, we were looking up at the last tough climb. Last time we did this section of the trail, we got lapped by people we had never even seen on the hike before. This time, we knew we were ahead of the group we ran into at the playground, but we hadn't seen anyone else yet. I looked at the hill, checked my shoelaces, and made sure my gear was comfortable. It was go time. I made my way up the last switchbacks, remembering how last time I was dragging my leg and literally chanting right foot, left foot. I started out a bit aggressively, thinking I could maintain that pace. I was wrong. I slowed down and remembered my core desired feelings, generous, grounded, joy. Generous, I said, taking a step. In this next chapter of my life, I want to feel generous with my time and talent. Grounded, I said, taking another step. I wanted to prioritize feeling grounded. What helps me achieve that sense of calm that I so desire in my life? Joy, I said, taking another step. I wanted to prioritize joy. I wanted to say yes more, and I wanted to bring joy to others. This time, I could only take about 10 or 12 steps before I needed to pause and catch my breath a marked improvement over the three to four steps I could take before I felt like I was going to vomit. I kept my mantra going even after the hard part was over. Generous, grounded, joy. Generous, grounded, joy. I could see the campground. I was so hot. I was ready to take this shirt off again, put my head under the faucet at the campsite and cool all the way down. When I saw our campsite, I started skipping. I could go to the bathroom. I could eat. I'm so excited to sleep. I wonder what time it is. We slung our packs off our shoulders on the, off our shoulders, onto the bench of the picnic table. I grabbed my Nalgene bottle and chugged it. When I finished, I took my phone out of my pocket and paused my tracking app. Babe, we got here two hours faster than we did the last time. I called over to Barry as he was unpacking his food options. Oh, hell yes, Barry exclaimed, running over for a high five. I busted out my miniature journal and grabbed my phone. I wanted to jot down the details of the day before I forgot. I brought a very small and thin moleskin notebook to keep notes in this time versus the big, funky journal I had brought last time. On the previous trip, I was trying to do big, long journal entries, and it started to feel more like a burden in the moment, so I stopped. I wish I had kept better notes of that first trip, so for this trip, I switched it up. At the bare minimum, I wanted to take notes on what I experienced, so I answered the same questions every day. If I felt like writing more, awesome. If not, totally fine. But I'd take note of the following things. One, statistics for the day. Distance, time on trail, blood sugar readings, calories burned. Number two, what were my biggest wins? Number three, what lessons did I learn? Number four, what am I thankful for right now? Number five, how am I feeling right now? Six, what did I see and hear? Seven, did anything stand out? And eight, did I use any specific mantras today? TCT journal entry, June 28th, 2018. 28,741 steps. 11.16 miles on my run, seven hours on the trail, 4,329 calories burned. We saw two bison bison en route to blackjack. We arrived almost two hours earlier than last time. Holy shit. The last two summits before blackjack canyon campground were insane still, but I'm in way better condition upon my arrival than I was last time. Bringing my DSLR was a good choice. Tomorrow's my 33rd birthday. Holy poop. Today I repeated my core desired feelings with my steps. Generous, grounded, joy. So far, so good. Having chicken and dumplings for dinner. Yay, let's eat. Biggest wins, we shaved two hours off our time. I feel freaking great. Mostly happy tears today. Lessons learned. My stories are mine to tell. Tell them, stop comparing or worrying. Thankful for. This is something Barry and I can share. We are so lucky. How am I feeling? Grounded. My toes are sore, but not nearly the shit show we had last time. My back is a bit sore. Mentally, I feel incredible. I love being out here. What did I see or hear? At one point I accessed pure joy and bliss. All the sounds disappeared and I was warm and free and sobbing. Did I die? What stood out? How much easier this is this time? Mantras, generous ground and joy. I can do hard things. Get it together, Williams, and hot sage. I closed the journal and tucked it back into my backpack. Barry was done boiling water for his dinner, so now it was my turn. Chicken and dumplings, a blackjack tradition for me at this point. I scarfed down dinner and grabbed my camera to wander around the campground. We were in the campsite next to the one we were in last time, and I grimaced at the memory of what my feet were feeling like that first night on the trail in 2016. At that point, I had a blister on my heel, and my pinky toes had turned into blisters too. Barry was setting up the tarp so we could cowboy camp under the tree. I checked the angle of the portable solar panel I brought, and was impressed by how it was charging the power brick to keep our cameras charged. Everything was going exactly how I imagined it would. I felt strong, I had a few really good cries, and moved some energy out of my body, and this sunset was looking pretty magical. The way the light was peeking through the trees up near the bathrooms caught my eye, and I found myself skip-sprinting up the hill with my camera to try to get the shot before the light changed. Last time we were here, I couldn't even get up the hill to go to the bathroom. I made it up to the top of the hill and started taking pictures of a dead tree that was perfectly aligned with the Trans-Catalina Trail sign. I paused for a minute and just took a good, slow look around. I wanted to remember every detail of this place, of this whole trip. I thought back to the pure bliss state that I had found on the trail. I found that place after we left the playground, before we started the last climb. I noticed a shift in my mindset. After I cried so hard, I was keeled over. I felt lighter. When I was filling out my water bladder, I felt confident. And on that last climb before blackjack i felt inspired what was happening here and what will tomorrow bring and that is chapter 13. we made it i have beyonce here so as you can see catherine osborne has been drawing the mantras for each chapter so tonight she has this beautiful drawing and what we're going to do after this event is share all of these so you can have them you can download them you can print them off frame them make them look pretty and I'm really excited to introduce our first guest, Catherine Getzky. She is the founder of iFred, which is the International Foundation for Research and Education on Depression. So Catherine, come on down. Welcome. It's like the price is right. <laughs> Here we go. Hee ha! How are you? I'm so good. It's so great to see you. How how is how's life?
2: Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you too. First of all, I love you listening to you read your book. That's so great. It's such a way to really get into the emotion of it. So I love it.
1: Thank you. I, um, yeah. So for people that don't know you, let's uh, do a quick intro. Who are you? What do you do? And where are you currently? Cool.
2: I'm Well, right now I'm in Bent, Oregon, in a little co-working space. I'm staying with my brother. Actually, I'm testing some curriculum on his family, but I live in Reno, Nevada, And I run a company called The Mood Factory that um, we focus on sensory engagement for presence. And then I run a nonprofit called iFred. And as you mentioned, and um, I started at the same time I started the company. And we've created a program to teach hope to young kids. So it's a free program available globally, doing a lot of research on hope. And I also wrote a book called The Biggest little book about hope, and it also shares my story and my lived experience. So named after I, the city I live in.
1: I love that. Um, so would you mind sharing a bit of your story and how you got directed into this work? Because everybody that finds themselves in the nonprofit world or starting a cause-based business, I feel has a very interesting story. And I know that yours is interesting. So I'd love to hear a bit about that.
2: Oh, thanks. Yeah. So I got involved. Well, I um, when I was nineteen, lost my dad to suicide. Um, so that really sparked, I, I think, my interest in giving back to this community. Um, I and growing up, I always wanted to make him happy, and um, he was probably undiagnosed bipolar or borderline. We're not really sure. Um, But, you know, the impact of living with someone with mental health, I I experienced a lot of trauma myself as a child, and um, also attempted in my 20s to suicide. And it shocked me that I attempted as well, because I saw the impact that suicide had on myself and other people. And I thought I'd never want to do that to someone else. But as we know, um, suicide isn't, you know, I was in a traumatic place when I had attempted, um, and then I worked for corporations and businesses, and started my own company and my own brand. And so I'd done a lot of ce- of healing and self work. And so at that time, I decided to give back to a nonprofit related to mental health and doing work in the space. And you know, you're a marketing person as well. When it, this was about 15 years ago, and I saw the branding around mental health to be really depressing. <laughs> so really focused, you know, the imagery was horrible. It wasn't, I couldn't relate to it at all. And I knew my, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't picked up of my dad. And a lot of the focus was on the symptoms, as opposed to the fact that anxiety and depression are very manageable and treatable. And so I spent the first probably 10 years focused on talking to the mental health community about how to rebrand depression and, and then got, um, was probably about seven years ago, really focused on, Um, If we want to really prevent uh, suicide, and really, first and foremost, starting with my own, because I have such a high risk profile, that we have to get to the cause of it. And hopelessness is the only known predictor of suicide, um, the number one symptom of depression. So I kind of sought out to hack hopelessness and look at what it takes to create, maintain and grow a hopeful mindset.
1: That's incredible. Like, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your work to rebrand depression. So what, like, could you walk me through that? Like, what were the steps that you took? Cause you identified that like, they're talking about the symptoms. They're not talking, like, it looks sad because it is like what, what, when you saw how depression was being portrayed, what was your initial spark and where did you take that? Like what, walk us through the process of rebranding depression.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we, it takes us like a 10th of a second to make an impression on something. And when we see an image of it and either positive or negative, and then we after that, and I saw the imagery associated with depression to be someone hiding in a corner alone, um, isolated, and it felt very hopeless to me. So I thought I'm not gonna want to fund that. I don't want to support something that I can't have impact on. Um, and so I started looking into, and so I know a lot about marketing and branding, and that's my I have an MBA in marketing, international marketing, and got an undergrad in psychology and so and helped big companies do branding and rebranding. And so I looked at it, you know, less than 25% of people were getting treatment, and they said. You know, a big part of that was stigma, and stigma is really a lack of understanding, a misunderstanding, misperception, you know, lack of information. And so, I went and looked at other disease states and what other disease states had done to rebrand diseases, breast cancer um, being one of them. And, and the biology of the body is a big thing. So, I really got active about talking about the biology of the brain, what we know, what we don't know how behavior and biology are interrelated. Um, I looked at universal symbolism. So when you look at big brands, they use the universal symbolism, repeat it over and over and over, um, how groups can work together, um, speaking about the success rate of treatment and what we can do to solve the problem as opposed to focusing so much on symptoms. And, and then just one around educating and, and also getting celebrities engaged, getting leaders engaged, sharing their personal story not of someone they know but their own personal story of mental health um, and how it's impacted them their own anxiety and depression stories and and the importance of that for and leadership to kind of change the conversations around it so i joined a number of advisory boards the world health organization has a global forum every year that's kind of an invite only they have experts from all over the world and so i started attending taking notes, listening to every expert I could about mental health and then presented just on marketing and branding.
1: I love that. So if there's anybody watching that is feeling, that hasn't been diagnosed with depression, but has been looking at the symptoms and sees the list and they're like, yeah, I got like 10 of those. um, What would you recommend as first steps for getting help and also do you advocate for like, is there a system that you've created or that you're comfortable sharing where people can kind of help themselves if they don't have access to traditional therapy methods?
2: Yeah, great question. And so when I looked at hacking hopelessness and hopelessness is really a primary symptom of depression. So hopelessness is made up of two things. It's made up of one, a feeling of despair. So that negative feeling that we have, um, the, the feeling of despair. And then the second thing is a sense of helplessness. So an inability to act. So if we want to address hopelessness or depression, we have to address both the feelings and the inability to act. Um, and so and, and do that separately. I think that to me, that's why hiking is such a positive way to deal with depression because we need future orientation. We need to move forward as humans. And so that feeling of stuckness and that feeling of horribleness is is a horrible place to be as a human. Um, And so to me, I mean, therapy and medication are two known kind of together treatments for a major depressive episode. And yet, for me, I, I've been sober for 15 years. I don't drink, I exercise every day. I'm really focused on my nutrition. I eat really well. I've been off meds five years and you know, rarely need therapy these days. Um, and so to me, it's really where you're at in the spectrum. Um, there are a lot of support networks. There are a lot of suicide hotlines if you're suicidal, text crisis lines. There's an app called Seven Cups that has peer-to-peer support. But if you want to address depression, anxiety, you really have to look at both those feelings. So that feeling of despair and that sense of helplessness. So, I mean, our program teaches hope uh, that teaches hope as a skill, which is kind of the opposite. It's that positive getting to that positive feeling state and it's getting to take action. We kind of address how to do both of those things. And, you know, it's really... uh, as you've kind of shared earlier, feelings are so important, no matter what we're feeling to experience them. Like I ran through addictions, I got ran through eating disorders, I ran from all of those negative feelings, because I didn't want to experience them. And yet anger and sadness and pain and all of that is really important for informing us like how we're feeling and and how we need to act but when we act in that negative state it leads to kind of uninspired action and so it's about transforming those feelings listening to them releasing them getting to a more positive space and only then kind of taking action so that's kind of like in a nutshell how we teach it to kids and how we practice it in my life My first job every day is getting myself to a positive feeling state. And so addressing feelings as they come up, processing them kind of real time, and then moving and and taking action when I'm in a more positive place.
1: What are some of the things that you do in the morning to get yourself to a positive state? I love that that's your first order of business. And I feel like everybody, if they don't currently employ that in their morning routine definitely should so what are some of the ways that you cultivate that positive mindset
2: yeah awesome so i gratitude prayer and anxious or distressed about something i try to listen to what that's about and see if there's anything i can actually do about that Um, And I exercise first thing in the morning. I I hike daily six or seven miles. Um, That positive momentum, like having that goal for a very specific goal for hiking is like a great way for me to get into that kind of positive momentum state. Um, You know, part of the hope state the positive feelings like getting to the positive feeling state and then taking inspired action like part of that is setting what we call smart goals so specific measurable attainable realistic and time bound a lot of times we feel hopeless because we set these goals that are impossible or you know they're too big or and so we get into that very anxious like state of you know, but every morning I have a goal to do this, you know, to do this kind of a hike and like just meeting that one goal every day gives me that sense of kind of accomplishment and positive momentum, um, forward. So I think, I mean, to me, hiking is such a great analogy for how you get that kind of hopeful mindset.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, because like any big goal, like the way that I attack life now, and I don't, I don't even like saying attacking life. That's an intentional <laughs> language. The way that I, the way that I approach life is like, if my, I have all these big goals and they're the summit, right? So like to get to the top is the accomplishment for me. So I've taken lessons that I've learned on the trail. And like, I look at goals as mountains now. So it's like, if I can get a step closer to that summit every day, then life is great. Um, do, how long have you been hiking and what kind of an impact has that made in your personal work um, in the work that you do for others? Like, let's talk about your connection to nature a little bit because we were in Reno last year. You guys have some beautiful hiking out there. I
2: know it's gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, getting in nature is key to a hopeful mindset and key to connection. And like you mentioned earlier, grounding, it's so important. So hiking is always, yeah, it's, it's just like you say, a a great way to center and ground and no matter what my mood state is, it kind of anchors me, allows me to get to what's really bothering me. So it, it creates that kind of repetitive motion that allows me to really like let go of control of the mind and get more into the feeling state of the heart and figure out what's kind of really going on and what's at the root. And then release that um, and move through it. It's been very healing for me over um, just over isolation too. Like getting out daily and getting into nature and getting that experience and releasing those emotions as that like pain comes up. Cry like you sit like get down on your knees, cry like experience all of it. It's not something we have to run th- from and it allows me to process emotions much more easily than I've ever been able to, you know, things come up and they, they move through me now, as opposed to kind of getting stuck into that trauma kind of bonded body. Um, yeah. And it's interesting. One of the things around hope too, is like, we set these goals, right. And, and if we can figure out how to navigate around challenges or obstacles Then that come up, it can lead to a very hopeless state. And if we can't figure out how to set new goals or different goals um, when we can't reach those goals, our ability to pivot to a new goal also predicts how hopeful we will stay. Um, and then the other thing is presence. So it's experiencing life as it comes and not waiting to achieve that thing before we feel happy, but feeling happy, present, engaged on the journey, which is like the opposite of what we're taught in school, you know, and we're taught that success is about reaching something, but it's actually not. It's about how we treat ourselves and other people along the way to wherever we're going.
1: I love that part too. I, I've been trying to like really internalize that as much as possible, that there's, Like the things that I've been telling myself lately is like, you don't have to check all the boxes to be happy. So like you could need healing in one area of your life and everything else is amazing. Like celebrate what's amazing and use that to fuel you to heal the other parts that need help. So would you have any advice for anybody that's listening? That's like stuck. That is just like, I can't get out. I'm in the cycle. I'm in this spiral. Like I can't break this negative train of thought. Yeah. And
2: it, it was, I mean, the, the reminder of it. I mean, that, and that's what I do with my, I mean, my company, I started it because I was like, you know, as trauma survivors, we're to, we tend to be in our mind or out of our body. So we leave our bodies, right. We can't be in the present moment. It's very hard to experience the presence. And so I was like, you know, I want to know, not just like how to be present, but how to really feel, awesome in the present moment. And when you were describing earlier, the error on your stomach, I mean, it's like engaging your senses is one of the most powerful ways to get present and just learning how to like love and feel like all different aspects of us that we've like abandoned so long ago is such a key way to heal. If we're using our senses to engage, we're not in our minds. It's like, it's impossible to be in that in that thought, in that rumination, or in that anxious anxious state of forward future forecasting, if we're really that um, all of the smells too. It's funny because you bring up that, you brought up the scent of the scent of sage and how that triggered a memory. So scent is one of our most powerful modalities, both positive and negative. So it's directly connected to our memory. So we don't process that sensory experience um, and it goes right to memory. So, And that can be either good or bad, but we can actually train ourselves to positive mood states using the sense of smell as like an anchoring. So feeling really good, getting those endorphins and then anchoring it with a sense to really anchor that feeling. And the more senses we engage to achieve whatever state we want, the more powerful it is. And so, and that was really the inspiration behind the company as well. It was like, how can we feel great? And the senses are a great way to do that.
1: That was actually going to be my next question because mood light is like lighting and aromatherapy. Is that right? Do you want to explain a little bit about what that is?
2: Yeah. So I started the company about 15 years ago based on, you know, again, wanting to figure out what impacts how we feel and colors, you know we look at colors and the association is often with things in nature so like the color light blue reminds us of the sky and so we feel calm or the you know of the ocean and so we feel a certain way yellow is associated with the sun so i developed mood lights based on colors and moods, and just like kind of adding little artistic touches to like our spaces Um, the, the research on colored lighting isn't as clear as that though. And my goal is to really create multi-sensory experiences targeting mood states. Um, and so I actually got out of lighting for that reason because it's like blue light keeps us awake, but it's really how bright the blue on your phone is. Where they, looking at the color blue is very common or it's very calming. And so I got out of the lighting, but we I have a new scent line based on how smells affect your moods. And um, I want to eventually do multi-sensory experiences so like teas and mood chocolates and mood bars and taste and but all about engaging the senses. because um, the research around sense is pretty power, like is pretty compelling and powerful and has a physiological response on our bodies. And so like citrus is a very happy and a very uplifting sense. Um, you know, as you, you're probably aware, lavender is very calming and can help with sleep. And and that's really like if you're having trouble sleeping, look at all of five senses and and what kind of environment you're creating for your sleeping state. Like how you feel, the temperature of the room, the comfort of the you know of your sheets or whatever you're in, the, the smell, the light. I mean, all of that. And so that was. You know, and then I wanted to do cause marketing for mental health. And so, and cause marketing is another way to reduce stigma and educate, um, on the importance. I mean, they've raised a lot of money for heart disease and breast cancer and all of that using cause marketing and it works to end stigma and educate people about it.
1: So what would be, what is your, what is your dream campaign look like? for rebranding mental health, doing cause marketing around that? Like, have you already done stuff that you would just like love to do for the rest of your life? Or do you have like a dream in your mind of what that looks like? Because we know breast cancer is pink, everything in October. Like what would mental health rebranded look like to you?
2: So to me, what started out as a quest to end suicide has become um, and to really understand what causes suicide and really prevent first and foremost, my own suicide has been become a quest to really promote hope and to focus on hope as a skill. So from a mental health standpoint, my goal is to focus on hope and hope is predictive of, I mean, well, a, hopelessness is a consequence of discrimination or oppression. So if you're oppressed, you begin to become hopeless, and which is a normal response. And when you feel hopeless, it can lead to addiction, um, violence, uh, sexually, you know, um, risky behaviors in youth, all kinds of things. And hope on the other hand is teachable. Um, We're not taught the skills for hope. And it's very clear that you can increase levels of hope. So to me, the campaign is really around hope itself. It's teaching. I mean, hope predicts how well you'll do in sports, your level of hope more so than your athletic ability. It'll predict your academic, um, your grades more than your IQ. It predicts how long you live, um, how quickly you recover from disease states. So there are all kinds of benefits to hope, including hope is predictive of your future levels of anxiety and depression. And yet your anxiety and depression don't predict your future levels of hope which to me as someone with lived experience is so important because it doesn't matter that I'm depressed now. It doesn't mean that I'll be hopeless forever. It means that I can increase my my skills for hope. And then that serves as a protective factor for anxiety and depression. So just because I've been depressed doesn't mean I'm always going to be depressed or, you know, so it's, it's very kind of a proactive way, I think, to address mental health. And it's vision is to do a massive campaign around hope and get celebrities talking about the science of hope and the importance of it. And that it's like a skill, like, like basketball, you practice your hope skills, like you do dribbling and you get really good. And it impacts everything you do in life. And so it's kind of addressing, I think, mental health in a, in a different way. I mean, my, com- my vision for the company is to have Um, different mood states and have them support different causes um, mindfulness and hope and sleep Um, sleep is so important and then play so we have an energy line and I think play is so important (laughs) it's like we get so serious in life and so to do cause marketing around a lot of different things (laughs) yeah so for my company, so I don't, well, I'm very, I've put my company to the side and I'm so focused on hope because the research around hope is so compelling and it's so clear to me and it's something we can easily measure. Um, and we just published our first paper on hope about our program. You know, a lot of people have done research around hope, but they haven't operationalized it. So they haven't started figuring out how to improve it and how to teach it. And so I was like, well, we have to do that. And we've been testing it with kids and it's been working. And as their hope increases, their depression and anxiety decrease, which, you know, wasn't even really an intention of the program. It wasn't really a treatment. It was more a prevention and skills-based approach. But I mean, the evidence is compelling and like we're learning how to improve it and how to teach it in better ways. And the kids are like, we want this everywhere and so i feel like i have to right now so that's been my focus
1: i love that if there's anybody in the zoom chat that has a question for Catherine, go ahead and pop on your video and uh we'll call on you and i have a couple more questions for Catherine while everybody gets queued up but um i love that so is there a, like a baseline of hope that most people have that like what are the symptoms of of hope, I guess, is like, how do you know that you're feeling hopeful? And what are ways that you can increase your hopefulness?
2: Yeah, so it's again, it's getting it's feeling good, like it's in a positive feeling state. And it's like, a lot of it's problem solving, goal setting, it's our ability to like overcome challenges and find ways to do things and new solutions. um, Presence, I mean there are hope measures so we have hope scales and we're actually going to publish them soon like so that people can take their like measure where they're at on on hope but yeah it's it's about um it's it's a lot of it's like goals problem solving navigating challenges coming up with new goals and feeling positive on the way so that's primarily um, there's another researcher, Dr. Scully that does a lot on faith, and that he, you know, believes faith is really key to hope. And you know, I, to me, that it's important for me. And there's a lot of research that also supports that. And um, I know there are some places where repression or religion has served to oppress, and so many people are kind of against that. And to me, hope is like an equal opportunity. Like everyone has access to hope, and we have to find different ways to meet those needs. I think faith is really about connection and a sense of wonder and awe. Um, so I think there there are different ways um, um, to kind of look at it that way. We know we know um, hopelessness. Predictive of suicide and also predictive of loneliness, and so connection is really important. And you know, when we teach children, like we make sure that children identify a hope network, so they have identified at least one safe, trusted person that they can go to and talk to in times of in challenging times, or you know, really at all times. Um, but that's a key indicator of you know. Um, I guess, hopefulness and um, yeah, as being connected or having connections to other others.
1: I
3: love that. Michelle, do you have a question for Catherine? Go ahead. Hi, Catherine. Um, my issue was that when I was 15, 16 years old, I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. And that was around the time that um, Paxil was coming out, Zoloft, Zyprexa, all of these antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication. And it was at that time where they were just like, here, this will help you, this will help you. And I felt, I literally felt like, you know how a witch's brew, that you're just tossing things in there and then it just, like that's how I felt. And since I suffer a lot from anxiety, of course those pills make me go into zombie mode and not being able to control my body would amplify my anxiety. And I just got really sick. So after that, I just got off the medication on my own. And I was pretty much left to fend for myself on how to deal with my depression and my anxiety. Now, um, I became a woman of faith about a year ago. And I realized that that's helped me a lot to deal with these things. But I was wondering, is there any because um, I know you're talking about senses of smell and lavender and all that. Is there any supplements, natural supplements that may you recommend or that you have taken that you've noticed that have helped you or others? because as far as medication goes, I'm not touching that anymore. It, it, it's ridiculous. Um, anything else you suggest or recommend or you or your personal experience on natural supplements? Yeah, no, that's a great
2: question. And I mean, there is so much we don't know about medications and how they affect us and they affect everyone differently. And so medications are really hard. They You know, my dad was newly on medications when I lost him. They saved my life. So, it's it's I I'm not for or against them. Um, to me it's about what taking like what you can do to get yourself to a positive state and then and helping Get, so to me, medication and therapy together like are an important thing that we miss as society. We medicate, but we don't deal with what's causing it um, and getting to the root of the issues. And so unless you're doing those two together, I mean it, you're just kind of prolonging I think the problem and that's had, had happened in my life. Um, in terms of, so, you know, but I completely understand it, that you don't want to take them and they didn't work well and they didn't, it was just confusing and, and, you know, made things worse. I definitely, I mean, medications made, I became more suicidal when I went on them until I got stabilized. So it's, very, you know you've got to do what's good for you. I know in terms of supplements, I mean, vitamin D is a really, they know a lot, vitamin D and omega-3 are the two things that they found, I mean, related to mental health and depression and anxiety. Um, So making sure your vitamin D levels are good. A lot of people are low in them. And then also omega-3s are the two, I kind of, the two main things I would say making protein, I mean, vegetables and like nutrition. Um, And then again, exercise if you can, I have um, meditation has also been life saving for me for my anxiety. So um, there's an app called um, uh, timer, uh, insight timer, that's free that you can do guided meditations with them if you don't like sit like sitting still at all and have a hard time with that, which is often true in anxiety. I did meditation in group to help start to manage my anxiety because I felt the energy around other people was more helpful for me. So I did that in like a Buddhist meditation centers, you know, I've like tried everything. Um, And then also breathing is, you know, I know Sydney mentioned this, but I cannot, um, one of the really interesting, I'm. In business, and I've been working with a company that looks at HRV. And as I started digging into the its heart rate variability, so it's like you have a heartbeat, and then you have variability between heartbeats. And the more variable your heartbeat is, the more positive that is for you. And low HRV is associated with all kinds of things, including depression and anxiety, heart disease, cancer. I mean, all kinds of. physical you know, health issues. And heart rate variability is improved through breathing, through really slow deep breathing, which is something like we're not taught to do. And even during an anxiety, so it's, it's 90 seconds. So when we're triggered, and this is especially true of people that have any kind of trauma or anxiety, We're triggered, our body goes into a physiological response and it takes at least 90 seconds for that to be calmed down and regulated. And we do that through deep breathing. And a lot of times we're not even aware that it's happening but if you can start to become aware of that and start to really work to regulate your breathing, it can really help not, I mean, not just like in your mindset, but physiologically to increase your heart rate variability, which also can have all kinds of positive um, physical, you know, um, benefits for you. So that's, I mean, there's a lot of um, other vitamins and supplements people suggest, but those are the two things. The other thing that's worked for me, Miracles is 5-HTP. you know, a different, different. some people, Sammy is helpful for them, um, melatonin for sleeping, but like that does nothing for me. So I think it's too, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's dependent on, on the people in person. But I would say that, you know, we over medicate a society and we don't get to the root cause. And for me, medication helps me experience the pain and trauma that I did not think I could handle um and to get to a place now where I mean I feel like emotions can be too intense for me and like I can't handle and yet I've learned that I can handle it and the more I stop pushing it away and the more I just like let it let myself experience it the more the quicker I move through it and the more I'm like oh yeah I can like no pain is going to be too great for me to handle so I don't know I hope that's helpful I know it's a it's a challenging journey and yet it can also leave to to your greatest brilliance and gifts and it's to me it's just learning how to channel the like intensity of your feelings to like really creative like find a really creative outlet for you that allows you to shine and to use to me like they're gifts and and it's just a matter of like figuring out how to use them
3: yes right now what's going on with me is that whenever something happens I put it in a box lock it up and throw away the key so, now that I've gotten involved with the church and I've gone through a program called regeneration, now I'm getting to the root of the problem. And now I'm starting to feel all those things that I have stored years and years ago. So, I've noticed that all of these things are my depression's coming back, my anxiety's coming back, I'm feeling everything. And I mean, I think I'm doing okay. I'm working out, I, I'm reading. Getting involved with in, in these virtual camps, I signed up for Sydney's um, self care class also. So I feel like I'm going in the right direction, but I just feel like I need a little bit of, of input like, like you're, you're like telling me, like, you're gonna be okay or try this or something, you know? Cause like you said, Absolutely. it's important to feel those feelings. And I understand that, but sometimes it's like, oh, it's all like too much.
2: I know. Yeah, no, I know. And I mean, to me, the fact that you can feel the feelings is a really positive thing. Um, And then having support in place so that you know hotlines or you have at least one person you can go to when you feel that horribleness or you um, you know the text crisis lines. There's an app called Seven Cups that's peer-to-peer support that can be really helpful too. So you can connect with other people that have gone through, you know, your specific, what you're going through. They have all kinds of different, like peer-to-peer support specialists. Um, And yeah, you can, I mean, the, you know, the fact that you can feel is so, and if you can learn to like, enjoy your feelings and the fact that you can feel so deeply, Um, and then learn positive ways to kind of cope with them. Like if things are getting too much or your anxiety, like what, you know, if you can learn for you, what helps if it's writing them down and, and just really kind of being curious about even where does it come from and what is it trying to tell you, you know, and be more loving of them and curious about them. You know, we're taught, like you said, to put it in a box and like, that doesn't work right? They're there for a reason. And, and so it's learning how to love them and, and putting the support structures in place so that you can kind of get through them.
3: Thank you. Of course. Yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us. Um, but for everybody that's still watching, what, where can people find you? And um, what are you most excited about that you're working on right now?
2: Okay. Well, I'm most excited. We just launched um, our new curriculum for young kids, hopefulminds.org and it's free. And you can, I-, I have found that the best way to like really integrate the work on hope is by teaching it to kids. <laughs> like, cause you really get to experience it from it and you get to learn from them and kids are so much more insightful <laughs> in, in a yeah. lot of ways. <laughs> they haven't been trained by society. So yeah, this new curriculum, it's three one-hour lessons and it's a free booklet and you can go on to hopefulminds.org and download it and read a lot of the research and, and what hope is and yeah, how to create, maintain, and grow kind of a hopeful mindset. And so I'm really passionate about getting it out to kids.
1: Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and um, for everybody that, is on the uh, Zoom chat. Thank you for your questions and for your comments. Catherine, have a wonderful evening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You too. Have fun. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right. Up next, I've got Mr. Kyle Smith. He uh, writes anthems for addicts, and he plays songs that I like. So, Kyle, welcome. Come on down. It's like The Price is Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh-huh.
4: Tell I me mean, when you're ready.
1: All right, look at you. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I love your setup, man. That's awesome.
4: I had a lot of help from some really good friends. So, how are you guys?
1: Yeah, we're doing great. We just got done talking about hope, which I feel like is a perfect segue into you and your story. Oh my
4: goodness, I don't know anything about any <laughs> of that stuff.
1: <laughs> no, you, you, hope hope is a hell of a drug. So for everybody that for everybody that doesn't know you, um, tell me a little bit about you and how you got into music because you say reggae music saved your life. What did it save you from?
4: Yeah, um, yeah that's what I'm. Well, uh, I mean, save me not from, from man, me, I guess, good. would be you know, the best way to put it. it. Um, it's good to good to hear your voice. Actually, I got you. Coming through the monitor out here in this yard, so it's uh, so I can't see you, but I can hear you. So I'm just gonna pretend like we're having a normal conversation right now. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm uh, super happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And as far as uh, hope, I mean, um, we see him. I mean, I'm glad that I'm glad I found a place of belonging in, in our music scene. You know, and and I know I know there's a bunch of different subgenres and there's all kinds of you know. I mean, it don't matter what what genre or what scene you're a part of man it's uh you know anything that makes you feel whole and makes you forget about your problems is uh, is key especially right now during, with everything going on so um you know i uh i spent a lot of my teenage years as a kid on the streets of long beach you know just getting into some really heavy drugs and heroin and meth and and uh, spent like a few years like sleeping in bathrooms and
1: kyle just a second um there's some back talk so i don't know if you've got folks that are in there with you but i can hear like everybody in the background
4: oh really do so they have the yeah. money?
1: It's good. It's good now.
4: He says he's sorry. And he'll shut up.
1: <laughs> okay, okay good? good. So back to the drugs. Yeah, you sound great.
4: Back to the drugs. <laughs> 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 um, but yes, long story short, um, I'm a recovering addict, and uh, I feel like I, I should be looking at this one. Um, I'm a recovering addict. Um, I've been clean since July 14, thousand thirteen. And, um, and, you know, obviously I do my whole recovery thing with all my meetings and everything, but I feel like, you know, the whole music side of all this has really been keeping me sane and, and, um, and giving me something to be passionate about and a reason to live basically, you know,
1: I love that. So would you have, uh, a song to kick us off and then we'll chat some more?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I'll play a jam called Jaded. is a song I wrote uh, about Long Beach, California, kind of like more about. I guess kind of about like corrupted youth and and, uh, what, you know, what a lot of young kids are going through now. And and, uh, I hope we're doing okay with the audio as far as the wind and everything. Do a quick little check before I get too into it. Are we good? You tell me. You good? Um, Pretty good. Yeah, cool.
0: the looking the pavement. I ain't looking about. all right. the, of the chaos. Can't see no way out, and nobody wanna save us. How do I survive?
1: it together here we go yeah,
0: to make it sound <laughs>
4: decent for you guys i hope it's sounding good sounding good coming out on your end not too sure what we got going going through here but did the best yeah, we could. uh it's,
1: it's a, a little hot. mic is mic is good Guitar's a little hot and muffled so Mine's i don't know if that's hot. a okay. easy yeah it's a little hot huh? it's, it sounds it sounds distorted a does little it bit. okay
4: okay let's yeah. see Early on, too. I <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh,
1: can turn it
3: down.
0: Was oh, that a little better? That sounds a little better. How's that? You believe I'm destined to thing with me? Can it to a boy, I wouldn't do it.
4: That a little better? That's a little better. A little, okay. Let's do a lot better. <laughs> um, anyways, we'll we'll talk while while we try to get. it into- be- yeah.
1: So, um you have been clean since uh remind me of the year. I heard July 14th, but uh,
4: 2013.
1: Dang. So-, so, how's it been? Like when did your <laughs> when did that happen and then how soon after that did music happen?
4: Um okay. So, uh, I guess uh, I went through a treatment center in on the other side, California. Sober and clean, and, and sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's uh, rewarding, you know. Um, when I was younger and when I was new, it really sucked because I, you know, withdrawals and all that stuff, and, and just having a hard time, just uh, being, you know, and and eating and, and doing the basic human functions. But the longer I stuck with it, um, you know, the more I could actually have conversations with people and look at them in the eyes. The more that I uh, tried to live better and and practice some principles and then all the stuff that I learned. Mm-hmm through uh you know through through the meetings and all the stuff that i do and and it's basically just you know basically just shit that we're we're taught as adults that i don't think that like i was i don't want to point any fingers but i don't think that i was taught as a kid you know what i mean so a lot of misinformed people guiding misinformed people is what i'm used to
1: Yeah, well, I, th- I feel like most of the world's probably that way, right? Like, we're all just trying uh, to figure it out as we go. And if, it yeah, no on. shit. Everybody's, everybody's
4: doing the best they can with what they got, that's for sure. I know that.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, talk to me a little bit about your music career, because you have been, uh, I mean, I don't want to, like, blow smoke up your ass, but you're kind of blowing up a little bit, dude. Like, what's, <laughs>
4: what's the deal? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I, I guess things have picked up a little bit since, since the star lounge a year and a half ago, huh? <laughs> yeah.
1: A little bit. Yeah. You're like uh, playing Cali roots and stuff. No big deal. Yeah. It's fine.
4: <laughs> you know what? I've just been, uh, I've been really, really, uh, blessed and, and lucky. And, and, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just try to take advantage of every opportunity that comes my way, you know, and I try to put myself in a position to receive it. Cause, uh, you know, um, show up everywhere, say yes to everything and, and be in everybody's face 24 seven. And, and, uh, the most important thing to me is not caring how it looks to anybody else and, and going for it, you know, cause uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I can, I can only speak for myself, but I can either listen to, you know, listen to people that doubt me and pay attention to the one person that doesn't like my shit, or I can, you know, give a bunch of love to the 200 people that do, you know, per, per one that hates it. So, <laughs> so there's always, it's always going to be somebody man. And and one of the most important things that I've, I've learned over the past couple of years is uh, is go for it no matter what people think.
1: I love that. And you have a full-time job and you do music. Like what yes. would you say the split of your time is right now? <laughs>
4: uh, I mean, I'm up at 4.30 in the morning every day for work. And then uh, I'm grinding until about 4 p.m. And then I handle music stuff till about 11 p.m. And the only time I'm really sleeping is between like midnight and four. So, um, and that's that's like during quarantine. <laughs> so, see, yeah. if- you can imagine while while we're actually playing shows, it's like most of the time I'll be playing at a venue till like one in the morning or two in the morning and then, you know, get like three hours of sleep and then back at it, trying to not act like I'm tore up, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so tell me a little bit, because you've been hiking a lot. Like when yes. have you been hiking? Like, is this a new thing for you? What is your connection to nature and how does it inspire you?
4: I love this. I love this. Thank you for bringing it up. Um, so... I think maybe when, I don't know, maybe about three years ago, probably, um, I don't know, maybe when I had like three years clean. So like three, four years ago, I, I loved, I just, I started loving um, just being out in the woods and and uh, I really started taking a liking to just escaping um, the numbers and the buildings and, you know, finances and bills and, and all this, sh- all the shit, you know, and, and stuff that we, that we, uh you know, I'm, I'm the type of dude that'll, you know, bite off more than I can chew and chew like hell. So, um, so, you know, that, that escape is mandatory now. And I really just, I've been really, really lucky with the second shot of life. And I just want to see and do everything before I die. Cause I want to make the most of it, man. I feel like I've been able to live twice and um, I'm 27, you know what I mean? So, um, so uh, yeah, I've, I've been really focusing on over the past, Three years, just seeing and doing everything, and have pretty much knocked out like anywhere you can drive to so far.
1: <laughs> That's awesome. What, what's been your favorite hike so far?
4: My favorite one so far. Damn, if I had to pick one, I would say Angels Landing at Zion Park.
1: Right. Yeah. Isn't the yeah. view up yeah. there stupid?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I really like the risky stuff. You know what I mean? So when you got like when you got like two thousand foot cliffs on like each side of you, and it's just like a little sliver of land, like a little sliver of rock like this tall (laughs) or this wide it uh it's i don't know i mean i I love it i love the thrill seeking and i love the adrenaline part of it too and and you know there's always an element of like what could go wrong that keeps it like i don't want to kind of messed up but it's like you know there's always that like kind of uh fear i guess you know like riding a roller coaster same thing you know what i mean
1: yeah absolutely we did uh actually zion was our first hike like our first major hike in a national park um, last year on our tour. And we did Angels Landing. We woke up at 3.30 in the morning um, because we wanted to be up there for sunrise. And (laughs) it was April. And we got up there. We got past the first set of chains at Scout Landing. And my fingers were like numb in my gloves. I couldn't hold onto the chains. I got like right down before you go to that last set of chains before you start going up that last little mountain yeah, yeah and i was just like my whole my whole body was like nope not happening not doing <laughs> it you can't even touch chains right now like you're you're gonna die you're gonna fall off this cliff. it's over but that view is so stupid up there yeah. like it is just nuts yeah you can it's see pretty, for miles
4: it's unbelievable well
1: let's yeah. let's uh let's let's jam a song what else you got
4: cool um i'll play a song uh, called dope fiend and uh i actually wrote this one. Uh, Pretty self explanatory. <laughs> you know how
1: we're doing on the uh, guitar. Sounds better on this Sounds a little better.
0: If you're happy, I'm happy. Lama <laughs> well, don't on top of this. Lama don't be on top of life for this. Lama don't be on top of this. Never opened up my eyes enough with my head down my money's until I need to get another day. You know, wake up another day. I'm sick kids don't like to be this way. We just don't feel as good as they used to. Said i doing what I got it just to feel okay. Do it up again, I guess I'm insane Then I'm empty, there now the am used to. You know me, it's obvious i for the up and another i the and another one more, one more I'll leave this place. got no job. Yeah, I love it, too. All this that shit, that it you I'm in the morning and too. All over the I'm to I my life, but it ain't my soul. I don't like me, and I got no in my money right down the they call me dopey. They don't know my name. Don't can't with this. Let me see the top of for this game. My not that my get That's, right. That's the way it is. Yeah. That's the way it is. Yeah. That's the way it is. Yeah. That's the way it is.
1: The whole Zoom chat's <laughs> clapping. Everybody's stoked. Hey! Audio sounds way better. We're Thank crushing it. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. <laughs> um. So tell me a little bit about like what if you had if there's somebody listening or somebody watching that knows that they are just like stuck in the throes of addiction, but they're also kind of tired of their own shit. What would your advice be for like first steps on where to get help and how to get out of it?
4: Mm, that's a damn good question. I mean, it's uh there's so many different things that I could tell you and there's a million different ways I could put it, but like, you know, at the end of the day, when you're done, you're done, you know? And, and, uh, um, I, I mean, I was basically not to make it about me, but, uh, but you know, what it took for me was to be surrounded by cops in a parking lot and basically given like an ultimate uh, ultimatum, um, you know, either, go to treatment or go to jail, you know, is basically what it, what it came down to. And, uh, and so I chose to, you know, give recovery a shot and, um, you know, everybody's got their own bottom and it's really just wherever you choose to stop digging, you know what I mean? And, and, um, you know, there's, uh, there's some people where, you know, not making a car payment is their bottom. And then there's other people where, you know, shooting gutter water is their bottom, you know, and, and, uh, what I realized is uh, it's, it's all about how you feel, you know, cause I used to compare, compare uh, circumstances and think that I was a better drug addict or that, you know, like other people didn't have it as bad or s- stupid shit like that. And, um, and what it boils down to is just uh, how you feel emotionally and, and, uh, and whether or not you're desperate and broken enough to be willing to make a change. Cause if I, I can only speak for myself, if I'm in enough pain, I'll be willing to do anything to change and make it better. So, um, so, uh, if you're watching and you're struggling or if, you know, even if it's a low key thing and nobody knows and you're trying to keep it, you know, keep it low. I mean, the, the most important thing is to just be real with yourself and just, you know, admitting like, like I hate to sound like a, like a textbook guy, but you know, that's the first step, man, is admitting that there's a problem in it. And until then there's just, you know, look, if you can't be real with, with you. I mean, I want to say how, you know, um, I don't want to put it on anybody but if you can't be real with yourself like there's no getting better you know at the end of the day and that's just my opinion I can only speak for me but until i got real with myself there was no improvement you know
1: i like that and i i think along those same lines i saw this on like a sandwich sign outside of a restaurant so you know it's legit (laughs) (laughs) uh if you can't believe in yourself, who else will and I think yeah. that that could also serve addicts well It's like if you if you believe you can get better then I'm sure you can um, but yeah. yeah I mean like my rock bottom was a like a, a panic attack in front of all my colleagues so it's really not like if we're if we're on the scale of what's bad and what's not then it's it's really not that bad but I think there's a, a good message in that like trauma's not a competition yeah. um, and neither you know, is it felt the same way right like you if, if you're over it you're kind of over it.
0: Yep.
1: What, uh, we've got a question from the group here, yeah. and they want to know what is behind the "Who the fuck is Kyle Smith"?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's
4: actually a really, really good story. So, uh, so when when uh, when I first started like going after the music thing, um, somebody made a group page that I think you're in, and um, and it's Kyle Smith Music Fans. And, uh, basically right when the admin made this group, he asked me, he was like, dude, can I make you a fan group on Facebook? I'm like, sure. Why not? And the second he made it, he just started adding like everybody and their mother. And (laughs) some lady (laughs) posted in the group, who the fuck is Kyle Smith and why am I in this group? And she was like, super pissed. She was like, so mad. (laughs) And like, and like everybody just lit her up and like, (laughs) And they were like, that's genius. That's amazing. That should be your slogan. So yeah, it ended up just sticking. And now everybody says that. So she actually she actually did like the exact opposite of probably what she was trying to do.
1: You're like, and thank you for the hot branding yeah. tip. appreciate oh, totally.
4: you. Totally. I wish I could find her and just be like, do you have any idea what this has become? Like,
1: It's the whole thing. Yeah. A lot of people want to know who the fuck am I? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um so do you have a uh, do you have another song you'd like to share before we uh, let you go
4: yeah yeah um i'll play one called uh no time for you guys was it a little better this go around on the audio just before i get into it yeah i was a little hesitant hey <laughs> there
1: yeah that sounds um, no i just i keep myself muted because it's windy as shit out here but yeah this sounds a
4: little better okay cool so this song is called uh no time um and i think this kind of uh, ties into what we've been talking about this whole time it's just about living life urgently and, and not spending your time with any shitty people and it goes like this
0: for your bullshit. You might look good, but I got no time for your bullshit. I said you might look time for your bullshit.
4: Is that
1: new? I love that.
4: It's the short version, a little bit. It's it's uh still working on it in the studio. So yeah, unreleased, I guess, is a good way to put it.
1: <laughs> I am a fan. Thank I am you. into it. <laughs> That's a mood, man.
4: <laughs> I'm glad you like it. So uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um, So where can people find you? And also, before you tell us that, um, when we come up to Ojai in the next couple of weeks in Ventura, will you come hike with us?
4: Oh yeah, are you kidding me? Okay, cool. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, and
1: also, where can people find you? <laughs>
4: um, well, you can uh, type in my name. It's Kyle Smith. And you can find me on Spotify, Pandora, um, YouTube, pretty much anywhere where you can find music. You can find my stuff. And um, I have a self-titled EP that's five songs. And then I have three singles that I've dropped over the past year or so. Um, so a uh, full-length album coming soon. Been working on it for two years straight now. And I think it just blows all my other shit out of the water. So I hope you guys are, uh, you know, excited for it. I know you've been following, you've been, you know, keeping up for a long time. So I'm really excited for you to hear. Yeah. The, the good stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so what's the, do you have a, like a target timeline on when that's coming out?
4: And you know what? COVID has just beyond obliterated all plans. So I can't even, it's very fluid.
1: <laughs> right.
4: Yeah. It was supposed to be awesome. like, put it this Perfect. way. It was and to, your was Kyle to Smith February. jams
1: on, uh, Oh, uh,
4: shoot. <laughs> yeah, on, on uh, Instagram, yes. Yeah, Kyle, Kyle Smith Jams,
1: you got it. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Kyle. It was a pleasure listening to your story and your music, and we love you, and um, we're looking forward to when we can hear you play live again. But for now, this will do. Thank you so yes. much for being here.
4: It'll be amazing. When it comes back, it'll be glorious. I can't wait to see you there.
1: <laughs> yeah, perfect. Thanks so much, Kyle. We'll All see right, you. much
4: love. I'll see you soon.
1: All right, party on team. So now, (laughs) Melissa Gessinger, come on down. It's not nearly as windy where you are. (laughs) I look like I'm Uh, a weather reporter, live reporting from the tornado zone. It is getting worse.
5: (laughs) It is getting worse. (laughs) I'm, uh, I'm representing today.
1: I love that. And that color on you is like my favorite um so where we met in santa rosa and you have the most beautiful child and the most beautiful spirit and i would just love for you to tell your story like we're sitting around a campfire like what happened like where were you when everything was going down tell us about apollo like just whatever you feel like sharon we are here for it yeah um
5: so i <sighs> got pregnant with my son in uh, in 2017. And in August, I learned uh, when he was uh, when I was 20 weeks pregnant, I learned that he had a uh, severe heart defect. And at first, we didn't know exactly what was wrong. And um, the period of time where you know that something is wrong, but you don't know the specifics of the situation are very scary. And uh, in situations like those, you try not to Google things because you'll give yourself a heart attack. Uh, But over time, we got to know more about the situation. Um, In fact, he had a chromosomal microdeletion, which was likely causing these issues with his heart. And then we got hooked up with a cardiologist and she was ever able to diagnose the problem. And we knew exactly what he had and we knew exactly what needed to be done. And there was a game plan moving forward for uh, the surgery that he would need to have days after he was born and all this kind of stuff. He was He was due in January. So when I was seven months pregnant in October, of 2017, the Tubbs fire happened here in Santa Rosa, California, and wiped out my entire neighborhood along with my house. And everything I owned, everything around here was decimated. It looked like a bomb went off. You know, you you see, you know, pictures or videos of a house fire where there's walls left standing and like the carcasses of furniture and that kind of stuff none of that we had nothing um when we were able to get to the uh get to our property finally to kind of sift through what was left really didn't find much uh apart from a couple uh items including like a vase my grandmother's vase was bis- basically sitting in this rubble completely untouched and intact. I don't know how, I can't explain it. Um so lost everything, had to basically live with my parents who live nearby. And then the and then in December we induced labor and had my son at UCSF. And everything was go- going according to plan until after his first surgery, he had a complication. I won't go into the details of everything, but he had four major surgeries by the time he was eight months old, and we almost lost him three times. Going through the medical trauma combined with the fire It was, uh, it was bad, you know, it's, I am the kind of person that I am this eternal optimist and I was struggling. I was struggling to find the reason I was struggling to, 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 to try and plan ahead and figure out what to do. We didn't know for the longest time if we were going to rebuild, if we were going to, you know, just take the money and buy a new house or, build on my parents' property, you know, there were so many things. And there were moments in the hospital where, you know, we literally couldn't plan for later that day because things were changing so often. And for somebody like me, who's a planner, who's an organizer, like, that's crazy. I really needed to learn some hard lessons and everything. Um, I needed to learn how to depend on other people. Uh, Because I'm usually the type of person who jumps into, you know, a hard time, like, you know, my city being on fire with I'm the first one to jump up and volunteer and I had to learn how to sit back and accept help. And that was hard. And then, you know, just when you are going through a trauma and you are living in it, living through it, and it's acute every day you're in survival mode, and survival mode for anybody that's lived it, and I know many of the people who are listening probably know what I'm talking about, to to slow yourself down to the point where you literally just need to focus on living to the next moment where you can be okay is um, is hard, and when that happens over and over and over again, and you think that you've gotten to this Plateau or the the top of the mountain, and you get up there and you look, and there's just so much more to go. Um. Yep. And you know, you set these benchmarks and you set these goals. And for for me, the, like the biggest one, the biggest one was when we finally get home, when we finally get back into our house. And as you can see, I'm in my beautiful, brand spanking new bedroom in this modern farmhouse and uh literally right before we moved in my husband and I separated like we couldn't we couldn't make it <laughs>
1: yeah that's so a lot that to yeah it's a lot of things like your list like any one of those things could drive someone to suicide or break up a marriage or end everything like and you've been through all of that. Like one, I see you and you were like one of the most resilient women I've ever met in my entire life. Um, what like, so let's talk about the recovery period between the house burning down and moving into this beautiful new space. Cause like, this is your dream home. Like you designed, like, I see your barn's door. I see it. I'm envious. I want one. Like I see your dream kitchen. I love your style. Talk to me a little bit about the process because I know like right before you moved in things with your husband got not great but what what was it like in the immediate aftermath and then like getting up to the point where like construction is happening now we're thinking about moving back in like what were what kind of emotions were you feeling during that time and how did how did you process and and keep yourself sane because that's a lot of action happening all at once
5: yeah it is it is a lot It, it was a lot all at once and I think going through the medical stuff with my son helped put the house stuff in, into perspective because I remember saying and thinking at one point and I still feel it now you know I would burn my house down a hundred times over than have to go through the fear of losing my child again like hands down like it's you know I hate to say it's just stuff because honestly that that phrase is triggering for me <laughs> and I know a lot of other people who have lost everything but but that it's like, there's a roadmap, you know, like it's happened before people have gone through it and there's communities around it, you know, but, you know, having a child in of itself, if they're healthy, that part in of itself is just, for me anyways, it was traumatizing taking on this new role of mother. And I can't look out for myself as number one anymore. I have to put him first and everything but for me the way that I deal and the way that I cope and move forward is diagnose the problem and find the solution you know don't dwell on the fact that shit is shitty yeah okay like have a moment take a moment to like cry and feel all the feelings but don't get lost in that and it's been a struggle all along because at my core I am cut from different cloth than my husband and no disrespect to him because I I do love him still but you know I'm I'm made from Kevlar he's made from construction paper and I had to carry him through everything as well as look out for myself and my son and, you know, our immediate family who was feeling a lot of it too. So it was, it was a struggle and it takes a toll. And when you do have the burden of looking out for yourself like that, it's so freaking hard to make time for yourself because any moment that you make time for yourself, you almost feel guilty <laughs> for putting yourself first but it's so important to do that and so that's really why hiking for me actually became my core part of therapy and when we finally got back into a house we rented a a home out on the coast in bodega bay just on a whim we were like can we do this like why the hell not insurance is paying for it let's do it and so just you know regardless of of how much i was able to get out of the house i was i positioned <laughs> ourselves to be surrounded by nature and the healing power of the ocean and everything and that made that made a difference on days when i wasn't able to make a plan i would just go outside and just breathe in the air listen to the foghorn and that was enough
1: I love that. And how is your son doing these days?
5: Um, he's in full on terrible two mode. Awesome. He, Fantastic. He is, <laughs> he's driving everyone insane. His uncle Kenny is looking after him right now. Bless his heart. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, it we're we're dealing. He's he's an incredible incredibly social person and we are having to face the reality that we are likely going to have to keep him out of preschool for at least the first half of the year because of COVID, because he is high risk, any respiratory, anything. And it's basically a death wish. So,
1: yeah, that's a, that's a whole different set of considerations, let alone like healthy kids. It's a risky, let alone, you know, somebody who's been through as much stuff as your son has. Oh, so one of the best gifts I got on the road last year, and I'm going to try not to cry because it like radically changed my life. And these are the words that came out of your mouth. We were sitting in the van. We shut down the REI parking lot. We were talking and you're telling me your whole story and everything about your son and everything about the fire and everything like you were in Bodega Bay in that house at the time.
5: Yeah.
1: And I remember you talking about just like being able to exhale and I'd love for you to articulate that moment um, or moments where you had finally been able to just like, <sighs> after everything you've been through, because we're all, and, and this, I actually changed part of my presentation to include this because it resonated with me so strongly because you were just like, yeah, I felt like I could finally breathe again. Like it felt like a big exhale. And I just like dropped all this weight and I was like, <gasps> Oh my God. Like I didn't, I didn't have the language for the feeling that I had in a time that between my assault and when I told Barry and for me telling Barry was the big exhale, the first of many big exhales. But I, I went on to go and like tell, tell, like in my talk, I was like, you know, we're all running around here, holding our breath in one way or another, maybe literally, maybe proverbially, but whether that's work or school or family stuff or money or jobs or whatever, like. There's a lot of stuff that makes us just like, and we, like, that creates disease in our minds and our bodies and stuff like that. So, like, what was the moment where you were finally just like, and have you had ones since then, um, since we last talked about it?
5: I wish I could remember what exact moment I was referencing when I told you that. Um, Any moment's good. (laughs) there there have been a few um the most recent one that comes to mind i mean i just i just went on a backpacking trip just last weekend and you know after being you know quarantined sheltering in place and not having childcare and being full-time mom and doing the move and the the parks finally opening up, and I just needed, I knew what I needed. Like, I I'm at this point, I know what makes me feel better. It's disconnecting, going off the grid, grabbing my dog and my pack and just leaving. And when I, when I got my stuff into the car, I drove, I drove, I drove, I went up to the Trinity Alps, which I had never been there before uh, up in Northern California. And I got to the trail five and a half or six hours later. And I didn't get started on, on my hike until about 4 p.m., which was later than I anticipated. So I didn't make it all the way on the trail. I am the the world's slowest hiker, by the way. I am ridiculous. I'm <laughs> But I was making my way up the mountain and I don't know exactly what hit me. It was hard and all of a sudden I just lost it and just started crying. Just let it all out and it <laughs> just the moments that I know that you've described and everything—it's—it was like that. It was like I don't know where this is coming from. I mean, I kind of do, but like, it just takes over. And I think I—I I, I think it was only like a mile in or something where I just broke down. Perfect.
1: <laughs> get it done. Let's get to work. I got a feeling to hide.
5: <laughs> And I just realized that even though I was just starting, I was so tired, you know, just mentally. And I just started thinking about all this stuff and processing. And I found this perfect campsite that was halfway up to my, up to the destination, only two and a half miles in. And I was just like, you know what? It's seven o'clock. I'm done. (laughs) I'm done. And so I just set up. And I got my water boiling for my dinner, and and I sat back, and the mosquitoes were buzzing around, and I looked at my dog, and and I just took a breath. Honestly, it was one of those moments. You exhale, and you're just like, I'm exactly where I need to be, and I am doing exactly what I need to do for myself, and everything in my world is going to be better because of it.
1: And I think that's such an important lesson, especially in like the comments are blowing up. They're like, you're a super mom. You're one tough mom. Like everybody's like so impressed with everything you've survived and how you've been able to manage. And I think especially I'm not a mother, but like I consider hiking my feelings, my baby. So that's the closest I'll get. Um, (laughs) but I feel like there, it, it is just a known fact. Like we as women in particular put everybody else first, we don't prioritize ourselves. And then when you find the time and space to do that it's just like the best thing in the whole world I love that you know what works for you I love that you know that you needed to go have a backpacking trip and you could like let it all out like there's so many people that don't even know how to care for themselves when did you discover that hiking was your thing and like how did you know like was there a certain trip that you went on and you're like, okay, now moving forward, if I ever need to feel better, this is what I'm doing. Like, What was your process on identifying that hiking was a good way for you to work through this stuff?
5: It honestly didn't happen until recently, um, I would say after the fires. Um, before the fires and uh, the, probably the six months leading up to it or even eight months or so, I had been accumulating gear. I knew that I wanted to hike. I had a suspicion that it was going to be a thing that I liked. (laughs) I, uh, going back to a trip that I took a while back to Europe, I went on this, uh, I went on a road trip in Scotland, and when I got to Edinburgh, I went on a pub crawl. the most the least likely place you'd get inspiration but i met this guy who had just walked from bristol up to like bristol like southwest england all the way up to edinburgh scotland and i was so fascinated by this guy number one he didn't realize how hot he was because he had just like lost a bunch of weight and he was like freaking gorgeous but uh number two i just you know i learned his story and everything i was so in- interested in this idea of like walking long distances that i was i started researching through hikes and i was like i want to do this i really and and so i was making plans to do this through hike uh on the oregon coast and i told my husband i was like this is something that i want to do and i was making these plans it was going to be this thing that i was doing for me i didn't tell him that but he was like that sounds great Uh, i think we should do this and we should do that and i was like oh okay this is our thing now all right that's fine and then i got pregnant and then the fires and so we obviously um all the gear was gone all the plans were out the window because I was about to be a mom. So, tabled that one. But after the fires, is it was an interesting moment because we got insurance money to replace stuff, right? And so, I was so anxious to get all my camping gear rep- and hiking gear replaced. And Cole was like, my husband was, was like, ah, it's your thing i was like okay it's my thing so i was like i reclaimed the thing and then i started going out on day hikes with apollo like i got the toddler pack and he just loved it like it was cool it was it was our moments we for a while we were doing hikes every friday we would go out and have a little adventure and uh yeah I, I had only gone backpacking once at that point in my life and and i i don't want to say i hated it but <laughs> it wasn't the most pleasurable experience and i think it was because i was with a group of people and so once i knew hiking was my like more be, becoming more of my thing i made plans to have my first backpacking trip solo with well, with my dog Um. Yeah, my backpacking buddy is is my dog Barnaby. But uh, I went into the Sierras for a few days, and that's when I knew. Like that's when I knew. Like this is gonna be my thing for a while. This is this is exactly what I need.
1: Oh, that's so great. Um. So the next portion of our circle or of our program here is to do our group gratitude circle. So before we jump into that, um, anybody in the Zoom chat that wants to share what you're grateful for, please pop on your video. Um, And Melissa, where can people find you online? And what are you working on now that you're really excited about?
5: Um, I am the kind of person that always has at least one project going. I am a writer. And so I'm working on my second novel right now. And um so that's keeping me busy. And I also have a nonprofit that I've been wanting to start up for years. Like I've had this idea for so many years, and I'm trying I'm starting to think like now might be the time to pull the trigger on that. Um so more more info on that later. But <laughs> but if anybody's nice. looking for, for more on on what I who I am, what I do. You can go to melissageisinger.com or survivaloversurrender.com. That's sort of my active blog, and um, I am also open to to uh, submissions on there for anybody that wants to share their survival stories.
1: I love that. Awesome. And what are you grateful for? I'm Thank you for joining us around the virtual campfire. Sometimes we talk about heavy topics. Sometimes we tell poop stories. But regardless of what we've discussed, we always like to end the show on a high note. At the end of our live broadcasts, we invite our community to share what they're grateful for in a segment called the Group Gratitude Circle. Every week, I'm thankful for you. Thank you for taking time out of your busy life to connect with us and witness these stories of hope, healing, and inspiration in the outdoors. If you'd like to gather with us around the campfire live each week, join the Hiking My Feelings virtual campfire VIPs. If this were a legit talk show, you'd be sitting in our studio audience. We haven't been picked up by a major network yet, so for now, we gather on Zoom. Here, you can connect with the community before and after the broadcast, hang out for sound check when we have musical guests, participate in the Q&A, join in on the group gratitude circle, and be eligible to receive prizes and gifts from our sponsors, partners, and guests. Learn more and join us at hikingmyfeelings.org campfire. Don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, and anyone else who could use a dose of community and connection. Follow us on Instagram. We're at hikingmyfeelings, and you can tag your journey with hashtag hikingmyfeelings. And if you're picking up what we're putting down and you want to be part of this movement, join the hikingmyfeelings family at family.hikingmyfeelings.org. In case nobody told you lately, you are a brilliant human who is destined to do epic things in this world. Join us next week for more stories of hope, healing, and inspiration in the outdoors. Until then, happy trails!